Good morning, church family. It is so good to be back together one last time for 2023. I was telling our team this morning, it's kind of cool. I don't know how often the calendar falls this way, but we started off 2023 on January 1st right here worshiping together and we're finishing it on December 31st again worshiping together so 53 Sundays for us this year what a gift to be together to celebrate as we end this year right and we've got a lot to to look back on and be be grateful for right pastor Daniel he he recapped some of it he left out like the couple dozen babies that I think were born here this year but so much new life both spiritually and literally that we get to look back and praise God for We've also got a lot to, to look forward to and be excited about, right? This unprecedented growth that we've seen this year, obviously God is stirring here in our midst. And I don't know about y'all, but I cannot wait to see what God has in store for us for 2024. Speaking of looking ahead, that's actually going to be our focus this morning as we wrap up our Advent series. I know some of you are here this morning thinking, well, it's, it's almost 2024, Pastor Ryan. Why are we still in a, in a Christmas Advent series? Well, you may remember back in the first week, we talked about the fact that being Advent people isn't just looking back and remembering that Christ came. That's not all that Advent is about. Right? Advent is also about looking forward in anticipation of Christ's return. So yes, 2023 may be over, Christmas may be behind us, but the reality is we're still here. We're still here waiting on Christ's return. Right, waiting for him to come back and to fulfill his promise to make all things new. And the truth is, y'all, we've been waiting for quite a while. I mean, not us personally, but, but Christians in general, right? It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, and yet we're still here in the waiting. Right? Gener generation after generation has come and gone, and we're still waiting on Christ's promises to be fulfilled. And last week, you might remember, we talked about one of the natural responses, reactions that we, we feel when, we are, when we're in the waiting, right? We talked about getting frustrated, getting, getting upset. Well, this morning, what I want to do is I actually want to focus on a, a different response, a different reaction we have in the waiting. And that's the choice we make in the waiting to fall asleep. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever found yourself maybe in a, in a public place, maybe waiting on something or waiting on someone and you start to, to doze off. By, by show of hands, how many of you have ever fallen asleep in a public place? Maybe waiting on a, a flight that's delayed. Okay, a lot of honest people here this morning. And maybe you doze off at the DMV. Like there's no shame in, in dozing off. I can guarantee you I will fall asleep waiting on the ball to drop tonight in Times Square. Guarantee it's going to happen. It happens every year. It's natural, right? When we grow tired in the waiting, to fall asleep. The danger comes when you allow this physical truth to become a spiritual one. When you allow that physical reality to become a, a spiritual one. When waiting on Jesus is just taking too long. And so you, you take your eyes off of him and allow yourself to be lulled into this spiritual slumber. And here's why this is so dangerous, family. Because when you fall asleep waiting on a, on a flight, the worst thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna miss your plane. But if you fall asleep spiritually, you may just miss out on the life that God has called you to live. You may find yourself on the outside looking in when it comes to eternity with Jesus. So this morning, as we wrap up our Advent series, my hope is that you will come to, to learn and to understand what it means to be spiritually alert, to be awake, to be ready for Christ's return. My prayer is that you'll come to see both how and why we are to live wide awake. 
Those three words, it's more than just a slogan that you see on our sign in the back every Sunday when you walk in. Right? Those three words, they mark the lives of those who eagerly wait for Christ's return and who desire to do His will while they are still in the waiting. So as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word, can you just mimic that posture of readiness as we come before him in a word of prayer? Would you join me? Father, we are so grateful for your goodness. Lord, we're grateful for your kindness to us. Thank you for being so faithful to us, not just over this past year, Lord, but always. As we prepare our hearts to receive your word now, Lord, I ask that you would use this time. Would you speak directly to us? Would you wake us up to the life-changing reality of your son so we might find ourselves alert and ready to be the world changers that he's called us to be? I ask these things in his name and in his name alone. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, this idea of being spiritually ready for Christ's return, you can find it all throughout the New Testament. But nowhere, in my opinion, is it more, more vivid, more impactful than when it comes from Jesus himself. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look to one of the parables that Jesus tells to understand what his expectations are for us while we are here in the waiting. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, now would be a great time to get those out. Find your spot in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be reading the story of the parable of the 10 virgins or the 10 bridesmaids, depending on your translations. And before we get into that, I want to give you just a little bit of background. This, this parable that comes as part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. That's basically fancy Bible scholar talk for, for a, a speech that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives as his ministry was kind of coming to a close. And what you need to know about this Olivet Discourse is that as Jesus' ministry was kind of coming towards its end, his, his talks, his, his sermons, they started to get pretty intense. He started to say some, some kind of weird things, some things that kind of alarmed his followers. It's where you start to see some people kind of falling away. Now his, his 12 disciples, his inner circle, they all stayed with him, but, but they wanted to know, hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? You know, he started to talk about things like Jerusalem's destruction and his departure. And they're like, okay, we need to know a little bit more here. We've kind of given our lives to follow you. Would you give us a little, little something in return? And so in Matthew chapter 24, the chapter prior to the one we're going to look at this morning, in verse 3, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, when are these things going to happen? Like, what signs should we be looking for so that we're prepared? Right, these guys wanted the inside scoop. They figured, hey, we're in the inner circle. We should, we should get to know some of these things, right? Just give us the day and the time and, and the map coordinates, and we'll, we'll show up in our Sunday bets. Right, they wanted that inside scoop. But of course, Jesus, you guys know Jesus. He's like, I'm not going to give you any of that. In fact, he says, I don't even know any of that. Right? And instead of giving them a, a straightforward answer, the one they were looking for, he actually gives them several signs, right? several events to look for. Not just one parable, but actually four parables to share that what's going to happen to his followers when that time comes. And here's the deal. I wish I had time to go into all of those, uh, those signs, all of those parables. But here's the gist of what you need to know. Okay, y'all ready? Jesus is coming back. <laughs> That's the gist of what you need to know, that he is coming back. Right? No, we don't know when it's going to happen. Yes, plenty of people obsess over it. You can find some incredible YouTube videos where guys go deep into this stuff. But the gist of what you need to know is that Jesus is coming back. Right? Jesus isn't trying to get across like when he's coming. He's not giving us some like national treasure map to solve. What he wants us to understand is that when he comes back, we need to be ready. That's his expectation for those who follow him, those who love him. 
those who call themselves his disciples, is that they would be ready. And so what he's going to do in this parable is he's going to paint a pretty vivid picture for what it looks like for us to be ready. So join me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read just the first five verses to start off. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now I want to stop right there because anytime we come across one of Jesus' parables, we have to recognize the fact that we're like 2,000 years separated from that context. So we need to get our bearings so we can understand what is this lesson that Jesus is trying to teach here. So anytime I come across a parable, I ask two questions just to get started. The first one is what is the environment? Right? What is this scene that Jesus is trying to set up here? What we see is that Jesus is setting the scene of a first century Jewish wedding. And in the first century, we talked about this a little bit, right, with Mary and Joseph's betrothal period. But what happens at the end of that betrothal period is that the, bride, or the groom, the bridegroom they call him, would come with some of his, uh, his closest friends to the bride's home, where she would be with some of her bridesmaids. He would pick her up. They would go back to the bridegroom's home, where there would be a huge party to celebrate them to celebrate and honor their union. Okay, so that's the, the environment we're talking about. This is the beginning of what would be like a week-long party for this couple. The second question you need to ask yourself is, who are these people? Okay, if that's the context, then, then who are these people? Who do they represent? Well, if we look at the context of this story and the context of Scripture, we see that undoubtedly this bridegroom is meant to represent Jesus. See this all throughout the New Testament. This is a common metaphor that's used. And in every case, Jesus is represented by the bridegroom. And typically, the bride represents the church. Now, obviously, in this case, the church is represented by these bridesmaids or these, these virgins. Speaking of, of that, I got to just tell you a, a really quick story. Okay, last week, we're coming home from the Christmas Eve service, and my, my nine-year-old Caleb's in the back seat. And uh, we were talking about the service and how much he loved the fake snow and the music. And he's not in here very often to hear my sermons. And so I took the opportunity to say, hey, bud, did you learn anything? He rattled off a couple things, and I was feeling kind of proud of myself. And, and he's like, but Dad, I have a question. I'm like, okay, here we go, right? Good discipleship opportunity. And he goes, Dad, what's a virgin? <laughs> I was not ready for that one. <laughs> we both learned a little bit of something that morning. <laughs> he, you know. Anyways, here's the point I'm getting at, okay? The thing that I told him is the thing that I think Jesus is trying to get across to us with this story. I think the reason why he refers to these, these bridesmaids specifically as virgins is to highlight their purity. Remember, this is a story that Jesus is telling about what will happen at the end of time. And so when he's talking about his church, yes, he has not yet gone to the cross, but he knows he's, he's going. And so he talks about his church as being pure, as being washed clean, made new by his sacrifice and by his blood. So Jesus is the bridegroom, we are the bridesmaids or the virgins. Those are the two questions. But I want to point out a couple of quick things before we move on. A couple of quick things about these virgins. First, I want you to see that they were all given the same role. Okay, they were all given the same role. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know that all bridesmaids pretty much have the same job, right? Don't tell them that, right? They all think they've got their own special thing, but they all really have the same role. They are there to support the bride. They're there to make sure everything just goes according to plan. Right? In this case, their, their job, it was, it was to carry the lamps, to literally light the way, to, to be bearers of light for the bride and the groom 
in their procession to this party. So these virgins, they were all given that same role. And second, they all appeared ready to play their part, right? They all appeared ready to serve in that role. Look at the facts, right? 10 of them were invited, 10 RSVP, 10 showed up on time with lamps in hand. So on the surface, they all looked ready to play the part. But Jesus, he says, hey, looks can be deceiving. Just because you show up doesn't mean you're ready. Right? Even though they were united in their, their expectation, they were divided in their preparation. There is one thing that separated the foolish from the wise. One crucial thing, right? It was what they had in their lamps. We're about to see, family, that this one difference made all the difference. Let's pick up back the rest of our story, beginning with verse 6. Jesus says, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So we see that one little difference, it made all the difference. Right? And those foolish virgins, they found themselves on the outside looking in. Now, Jesus' purpose with, with this parable, really all of the parables he teaches, is to, is to teach us a lesson, right? And typically we learn this lesson by placing ourselves into the story. Think of the, the good Samaritan or the, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, right? We all identify with a character in that story. And there's a lot of good truth, a lot of practical application that could come when we do that. But I actually want to ask you to resist the urge to do that here this morning. And here's why. Because when we, when we do that, we'll sometimes get caught up by looking inward at ourselves and we'll lose sight of the truth that Jesus is trying to reveal to us. Does that make sense? I'm willing to bet some of you have already started thinking in your minds, like, am I in the, in the, in the wise group? Am I in the foolish group, right? Like, do I have enough oil? What even is the oil? <laughs> Have I done enough? Have I loved enough? Have I served enough? And when we start to ask those questions, right, we go kind of on and on down that, 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 that cycle. And we get further and further away from the, the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us. And the reality is, family, this parable, it's not about us. This parable is all about Jesus. The truth is we have all been like the wise virgins. We've all been like the foolish ones. What this parable is about is Jesus. It's about his return. He is the, the focal point. He is the main character. I mean, this parable literally tells us, invites us to come and to meet Jesus and to see what kind of bridegroom he is, to see that even though he may be delayed, that his faithfulness never wavered, that he is true to his promises. So again, rather than asking you to identify with, with one group or the other, what I want to focus on with the rest of our time this morning is to expose some of those temptations we have that lead us to being like the foolish ones and to share some truths that will hopefully help you gain some wisdom as we wait on Jesus. So let's begin with that first truth. If you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to write this down. First truth is that it's not about measuring up, it's about making room. 
It's not about measuring up, it's about making room. See, these foolish virgins, they were so concerned with whether or not they had enough oil that they completely just disregarded their responsibility, right? They had one job. <laughs> their one job was, was to be there when the bridegroom showed up, to be ready, to be available to, to, to support this bridal party. But instead, they got caught up with whether or not they, they measured up. And the truth is, family, we can fall prey to that same temptation. We know how our society works, right? We live in a competitive world. We are constantly being bombarded with this, this, this comparison factor. And I know this isn't news to any of you, but I think we need to be reminded of the fact that the gospel says we don't have to, to measure up. All we have to do is to make room, to make ourselves available to Jesus. And the reality is knowing this truth is one thing, right? But actually living into it is a whole different thing. And so I want to just give you a, a few practical suggestions because I know each one of us struggle with this. Each one of us are faced daily with this temptation that we need to measure up. Let me just give you a few suggestions if this is a challenge for you. Number one is to free yourself from the tyranny of the urgent. To free yourself from the tyranny of the urgent or to put it simply, to slow down and to focus on the important things in your life. Sounds simple, much harder to do in reality. Right, if you want some practical guidance on this, let me just recommend a quick resource. John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and there is so much good truth in there. If you don't have time to read it, let me just, let me just simply state this and probably borrow it from him, but, but really the, the urgent things in your life are going to crowd out the important things. And so if we start to, to look at the urgent things in our life and realize what's actually important, we can start to draw that delineation. We can free ourselves from the tyranny of the urgent. Second, remove distractions. Remove distractions. I think I may have shared this stat before, but I think it's worth saying again. Uh, the average uh, human uh, attention span is about eight seconds. Not very long. Not something to be proud of. In fact, in the animal kingdom, we find ourselves behind a goldfish. It's pretty depressing. And we're declining. It's getting worse and worse as we go. My point in sharing this is that we are fighting an uphill battle. Right? Our world has literally conditioned us to crave distractions. But we know that making room for Jesus requires our focus. Okay, so we need to remove distractions. My third suggestion for you this morning is to quit living by other people's demands. To quit living by other people's demands. It's simple as that. You are responsible for yourself and for those that God has entrusted to your care. You are not responsible for meeting somebody else's standard of expectations. You are not responsible for measuring up to what somebody else thinks of you. So resist that temptation that you feel, right, to meet their standard and seek after Jesus instead. If you want a good example for, for what this looks like, you need look no further than, than Jesus' disciples, right? Did Jesus expect them to measure up to some predetermined standard? No, of course not, right? If he did, none of them really would have met that standard to begin with. Instead, all he required of them was that they make room for him in their lives. So that's it. While we wait on Jesus, we're reminded it's not about measuring up. It's about making room. That was point number one. Point number two is that it's not about attendance. It's about anticipation. It's not about attendance. It's about anticipation. You know, I think this one screams loudest to our church culture today because we made it really easy to receive all the benefits of Christian community without really knowing or loving or surrendering to Jesus. Right? In other words, we've We've made Christianity more about the party than it is about the bridegroom. Let me let that sink in for a second. 
We made Christianity more about the party than it is about the bridegroom. And what happens when we do this, and when I say we, I mean we as the church, we as pastors and leaders, as we de-emphasize spiritual growth and we settle for people who simply show up and check the box. And Awaken Church, I want you to hear me when I say that I'm so glad you are a church who shows up. I got to be honest, I wasn't expecting to see so many people here this morning. Warms my heart knowing that we have a church who shows up. But let me also say that showing up isn't the only thing. It's certainly not the, the main thing. Showing up is simply what puts you in place to welcome the bridegroom. But as we see in this story, that's not all it takes to be ready to receive him. Do you see the difference there? Right, that's not about attendance, it's about anticipation. It's not that you show up, it's how you show up. Because if we're being real honest, it's, it's super easy to walk through those doors to sort of like spiritually sleepwalk in and spiritually sleepwalk out every Sunday. It only takes about an hour, hour and a half of your time just to be a, a passive participant. But what we see in this parable is that the hearts of those who truly long to be with Jesus, those who truly love and desire to follow Jesus, they are not comfortable being a passive participant. Right? So they actively anticipate his return. And the difference here between passive participation and active anticipation is really a shift in mindset. Let me help you understand this. I want to give you just a, a simple example, okay? Let's say you're, you're heading out the door tomorrow and, and you're anticipating rain. What do you do? Grab an umbrella, right? You grab a jacket. When you're anticipating it, you, you go and you grab something for it. Or maybe one that's a little bit more relevant to our audience here, right? When you're anticipating a new child, right? You and your spouse. You're anticipating a baby. What do you do? Well, there's a whole list of things you got to do, right? You got to find a doctor and build a crib, all those sorts of things. My point is that anticipation leads to action. So if we're anticipating Jesus' return, then we'll naturally find ourselves active in seeking his will, active in doing his work. And what I love is the more active we are, the more we anticipate his return. The more you anticipate his return, the more active we are. And on and on that cycle goes so that we never have to worry about our lamps running out of oil. Are you all with me this morning? Good, because speaking of the oil in our lamps, that leads me to our third point this morning. That it's not how much you possess, it's who you pursue. It's not how much you possess, it's who you pursue. I want to show you what I mean here. I've got this little oil lamp uh, that's pretty typical to the one they would have used back in first century Jerusalem. It's not authentic. It's, it's from Amazon, I'll be honest. <laughs> but this is something similar to what they, they would have used. And what they would do back then is they would fill it with oil, which I already did. Hopefully this works. We'll see. And they would light the lamp just like that. And what Jesus is saying is that these, these foolish virgins, this is, this is all they brought. And they thought this was going to be enough, okay? The wise ones, though, they, they hit up their local H-E-B, and they had a little extra oil. No, they didn't hit up H-E-B. I'm just kidding. Because the reality is actually what, what, what they had in that oil, it's not something you can purchase. It's not something you can go and buy. It's something you can only receive. See, family, when we pursue the, the presence of God, when we are active in our anticipation, the Holy Spirit fills our lamps with oil. We spend time in pursuit of Jesus. We spend, spend time praying and, and reading his word, worshiping him in community. All those things, they fill our lamps with oil. This is why those wise versions, they weren't concerned at all about how much oil they had. 
because they had already been actively anticipating his return. They had already been pursuing Jesus before he even came. And the same will be true of us, right, if we are preparing for this day. If we spend our time now focusing not on how much we possess, not focusing on how many good works we have, but if we just focus on who we pursue. And I just want to be clear here. I think something this story so brilliantly points out is that this is something you have to do for yourself. You cannot live on borrowed oil. You can't live on borrowed oil. That's a, a lesson that these foolish virgins had to learn the hard way. But I'm praying the Holy Spirit will teach you maybe a little bit more gently this morning. See, because you're not going to be saved simply because of the house you grew up in, because of the parents you have, because of the school you went to, even because of a leadership role that you held in church. You can't live on borrowed faith. Just look at Jesus' response to those foolish virgins. His decision on whether to let them in or not was based on what? On a personal relationship with the bridegroom. The foolish virgins, they weren't allowed entrance because they had no personal relationship. So don't fool yourself thinking that you can borrow your faith. Go get your own oil. Go pursue Jesus for yourself so you are ready when he returns. Because here's the bottom line, family. Here's one thing I want to be absolutely sure that you leave here today knowing. That a day is coming when the door will be shut. We don't like to talk about this very often in church. It makes people uncomfortable. But a day is coming when the door will be shut. Jesus says the day is going to come when you are going to stand before him. Whether it's when your life ends or when he returns. And when that time comes, he wants you to be ready. I wonder if you're ready. If Jesus came back today, would you be ready? Or would you find yourself on the outside looking in? The way we prepare ourselves, family, in the waiting is by living wide awake. By living wide awake. So listen, we're about 12 hours and 15 minutes from the start of a new year. And this is the time when everybody makes their, their big resolutions, right? Everybody puts their goals out there on social media that nobody remembers two weeks later. What I want to suggest to you is that rather than making some, some fleeting goals and focusing on those, would you simply make readiness your resolution in 2024? Would you make readiness your resolution? Would you spend this year prioritizing your relationship with Jesus, pursuing Him, so that when that day comes, and it will come, that you find yourself ready? I want to leave you with a few practical points, hopefully memorable points here this morning for how you can make readiness your resolution in 2024. I'm going to call these the ABCs of a fully engaged life. The first priority, the A, stands for abide. Stands for abide, to pursue the presence of Christ and to dwell and to remain there. Our Jesus paints this picture for us in John 15 when he says that I am the vine, you are the branches. He says we must remain constantly connected in order for you to bear fruit. What that means, family, is that we have to daily cultivate our relationship with Jesus. We can't expect fruit to grow overnight. We can't duct tape a branch to a tree for an hour a week and expect it to grow anything must be constantly connected. And the best way for us to do this, y'all, I can't be up here preaching every single day. You gotta be in the word on your own. Don't borrow oil. Spend time in the word, abide with Christ by reading his word daily. Allow it to fill your minds. Allow it to guide your steps. Allow it to transform your heart. So the A is for abide, the, the B stands for balance. You know, one of the aspects that I love about this story, it gets so easily overlooked 
is the fact that all of the virgins were asleep when the bridegroom showed up. And what I love about that is it points us to the fact that Jesus does not expect us to be working ourselves to the bone. He created us with that need for balance, right? That need for rest, that need that so many of us ignore. And family, I'll go ahead and tell you, I am the chief of sinners when it comes to that. We need that balance. We have to have that balance. See, what happens when we don't have that balance, it's, it's kind of like our, our phone batteries. I don't know about y'all, but I like to kind of play a little fast and loose with my phone battery. And so I'll often get down to the, the 10 to 20%, right? And what do you do with, when, when your phone battery gets to 10 or 20%? Well, you put it on low power mode, right? You decrease the brightness. Like, I know all the tricks. But you can't do that when it comes to your spiritual life. You can't do it. What this means, family, is that we have to prioritize balance in our lives. Right? To identify and maybe even say no to some of those things that are, are draining our battery. And we've got to find those things that are going to recharge our batteries. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, like more sleep might help a little bit. A little rest, a little exercise, those are good things. But the only way to truly get that power is to, is to connect back with the source. That's it. Simplest way to do this, family, is through spiritual disciplines. I mean, think about this. Jesus, when he was on earth, his battery ran low. And what did he do? Spent time in the disciplines and prayer and fasting and service, Sabbath. We have the same opportunity that Jesus had to, to connect with the Father, to receive that power. So the A is for abide, the B is for balance, and lastly, the C is for connect. You can ready yourself to receive Jesus by growing deeper and going deeper in community with other believers. And this is another point that's often missed in this story. That Jesus, he, he, he puts us into community for a reason. It's not just so that we can keep each other company while we wait for him to return. It's about more than that. So we can receive the, the wisdom and the encouragement, the, su the support, the accountability, all these things that we receive from one another by doing life together, by being in life group together. That's the opportunity he gives us so that we will all be found ready on that day when he returns. Awaken Church, this is the life that we have been called to live. It's not a short-term commitment to being a part of a bridal party. It's a lifelong commitment to being a member of a church family. So these are your ABCs for 2024. Abide, balance, and connect. And I'm going to go ahead and be upfront with you that none of these are going to make you run faster, look smaller, or retire sooner. But what they will do is they will connect you more deeply with your Savior. They will leave you ready, eager for his return, doing his will and his purpose in the waiting.